Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to be welcoming Mita Malik. Mita is a corporate change maker with a track record of transforming businesses. She gives innovative ideas a voice and serves customers and communities with purpose. She currently is the head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta, a top LinkedIn voice of 2020, and co-hosts her own podcast called Brown Table Talk along with D.C. Marshall. Listeners, this episode covers a wide range of topics, including racism, colorism, the importance of representation, as well as topics around the great resignation. I hope you learn as much as I did during this conversation, and I highly suggest you listen to the Brown Table Talk podcast. Mita, thank you so much for joining me today. Some listeners might already know who you are, but for those who don't, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, thank you for having me today. I would say that my story starts at the very beginning. I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. My younger brother and I were born and raised in the U.S., and I always say to people, I was the funny-looking, dark-skinned girl with a long, funny-looking braid whose parents spoke funny English until it wasn't funny anymore, and I was bullied a lot, both verbally and physically growing up, and I don't ever want anyone to feel that way, whether it's at home or in their communities or in their workspace, workspaces, workplaces, and honestly, that's how this work found me. It's been part of my journey of my life. In preparing for this interview, I read several of your articles, and there was one that really stood out to me, and to be honest, it hit me pretty hard. It was the piece you did for Cosmopolitan called, What Might Life Be Like If I Weren't So Dark? And in it, you said that you had to focus on being smart since pretty was not an option for you. That line broke my heart. And the first question that came to mind was, why did you feel like that growing up? Well, first of all, it means a lot that you read a lot of my pieces. Thank you. And the piece in Cosmopolitan, I was right. I wrote that for many years in my head and it took a lot of courage. And even when I published it, I was like, I hope no one reads it, (laughs) which is ridiculous because it's in Cosmopolitan, but it's such a personal essay that I wrote. And I have to say, just from a young age, I grew up knowing I wasn't pretty because I was being raised in an environment where I didn't see anybody who looked like me on screen or in TV and movies. I didn't grow up in the Instagram era. Every image of what was considered beautiful was someone who was white, blonde hair, blue eyes. That's changed a lot, but that that's what I saw growing up. Whether that was with the toys I played, dolls, video games, movies, that was what I was surrounded by. I also grew up in, in an Indian community where there is a lot of colorism, which we'll talk about, but a preference for just lighter skin and I was dark and I knew that. And I remember the first, one of the first microaggressions in high school was um, a white boy who had a crush on say, well, you're pretty for a dark girl. And I was like, oh, that seems weird, but I guess that's a compliment. Cause that was at 16 when someone says that to you, you don't really understand what that means. But I always sort of, I knew that. I just always really focused on academics for that reason. So after I read that article, I actually called my mom and had this whole long conversation with her because what came to my mind, and this is so minuscule compared to what you experienced, was 
when I was younger, the American Girl dolls were really big and just coming out. And I remember, um, you know, they had the one where you could get one that looked like you. But I, when I was little, I have really, really curly hair. I chemically straightened it now, but it was super curly. And I remember being upset that I couldn't get a doll that had the curly blonde hair. That is, then the conversation with my mom expanded into, I couldn't imagine not being able to have dolls or Barbies that didn't look like me and that all both brown and black skin, little girls growing up my age, I'm 31, didn't really have that or representation with Disney or, and it just kind of in my head just kept growing until I just felt so like, I need to educate myself. I need to be an ally. And you've really done a lot when it comes to marketing. I'm a marketer. Can we talk about why representation is so important, not only in marketing, but in a different um, conversation podcast you had talk about even with the makeup and I didn't even think about that it is a ripple effect really but can you talk about why you really chose to bring your previous experience into marketing and how we need to continue making those changes I was a marketer for years I still consider myself a marketer I always joke my husband's the foodie I am not I'm about community and conversation but I'm definitely a beauty person I've sold a lot of beauty products in my life and even at a young age, when I didn't see myself reflected in products and services and commercials and in newspapers and magazines, I was drawn to that and drawn to the storytelling of like, who gets, whose story gets told and why, who gets reflected and why. And I can remember being at a, a cosmetics company and creating eyeshadows that didn't work for my skin tone. And I was like, who am I creating these eyeshadows for? Well, the pigment costs more, so we're not going to do that. Right. And so I remember all these moments in my career where I was making products for people who actually didn't look like me and wouldn't work with my skin tone. And so that's always been a driving force. I think as a marketer, what you know from a U.S. perspective is that Nielsen is just one source, but we know that there is $3.2 billion of spending power with the multicultural consumer. And so that means like thinking about inclusion end to end. And one of the things I talk about in a Harvard Business Review piece I wrote last year was marketing still has a problem with colorism. And so when you talk about the beauty example, I coined it as diversity dressing, which is I'm on Instagram, won't name the beauty company, see this amazing image of this black woman, dark black skinned woman with great makeup on. And I look at that image and I said, I know that lipstick is going to work on me. I go and dig into the website. They actually don't sell products for that skin tone. And so that's diversity dressing. It's very easy to put an image up there, but you have to ask, like you can have diversity of representation in images, which is so important, but do you actually have products and services that will serve in that particular case, a dark skinned woman. And I would say go beyond. It's not just about the foundation, right? And what we saw Rihanna do with Fenty, but it's also like, hey, I need eyeshadow. <laughs> I need lip liners. I need eyeliners. I need blush. It's it's everything, which even, is so important. Even skin products, like everyone's skin is different. Like they need to be moisturized in a different way. And when I read that article and started to think, all right, when you just talk about makeup, you're not even talking about what someone like physically might look like, like size wise, that changes too. And then like clothing and it just kind of keeps growing. So 
so why is it, and there's a demand, I think TikTok, Instagram first started, but then TikTok exploded and you're having these, I know I waste a lot of time watching beauty, like TikTok. I, well. <laughs> I, like, I, I love it. Beauty. I love it. But I love finding these people who are like, this didn't work, or this is a good dupe for my skin tone. And then you see people share links and then they can buy through the link. So the demand is there. Why is it that older beauty companies or just older companies in general are not picking up on the memo fast enough or doing enough? I think TikTok's a great place. Instagram's a great place. You're seeing all these brands that are being born, influencers becoming stewards of brands or starting their own businesses because they see the need. The need is them. And so that's what businesses are getting wrong. A lot of these very large well-established beauty brands, they don't have the diversity of representation, right? So when you're launching a foundation and you only have like 10 different versions of beige, there's probably nobody at the table like I was back in the day saying, hey, this eyeshadow doesn't work for me. And you know, what's really sad, even when I did say something, they didn't care. They're like, well, that's too, that's more expensive. We can't do that. It's like, but there's a demand, there's a market. People are clamoring. You hit on something. And in my research, preparing for this, I know the the latest Sex and City reboot. You talked about that episode with- You really did your research on me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to make sure this was a good, well-rounded conversation because your career and what you've done is just so vast and so impressive. I wanted to really touch on certain points, but in the Diwali episode, to me, I was watching, I was like, oh, okay, like I'm learning about something, but it wasn't learning the right things, right. wasn't a great representation. And I know um, I'm, I'm Jewish. And sometimes when I watch certain shows or they'll, you know, someone will drop some Yiddish or do something, I'm like, oh, that's not the right way. And it's like, yeah. so frustrating to me. And I kind of want to know, was there no one in the room that could have said something? But yeah. with the Sex and City reboot, one of the writers kind of helped script this. And why did, did, do you think she didn't raise her hand? Or do you think that it doesn't even matter if you're at the table? Sometimes you're too afraid to raise your hand and say, that's yeah. actually not right. Um, what are your thoughts? I think that's a great example of what's the sex in the city. The reboot is a mirror of what's happening in corporate America, because to your, to your, to what you just mentioned, one of the writers they say was of South Asian descent, a woman of color. And one of the lead actresses is of South Asian descent. Why is it their burden? Why is it the burden? Why do, why are we then expecting those two people should have said something? And guess what? To your point, maybe they said something and no one listened and said, guess what? Because one of the big pieces of the controversy of this episode is like the volley, similar to what you're saying as someone of the Jewish faith of like how you're watering down this important cultural moment, but then also like- Stereotyping it. Yeah, stereotyping and mislabeling, you know, a sari is different than a langa. Oh, but for the white American audience, don't worry about it, right? Like, what is it that, because it's a pretty glaring miss. And I have to say, I give credit to Vogue India who picked it up. And then the New York Times finally covered it. But it's sort of like that whole, you know, as much as I love the original Sex in the City and parts of it, it's like, it, it, the whole, it's very cringeworthy, this whole sort of reboot. The whole thing. They're doing. And I felt like this was a perfect, way to look at corporate America. They know they need to do something. They need to say, I stand with Black Lives Matter. I'm against racism. We're all about diversity and inclusion. And we're going to try to 
put it together and force it in a way that doesn't feel natural, that makes the viewers feel uncomfortable to be completely transparent. Um, You know, a few weeks ago, I had um, Jameson Green on, who's a trans man. And when I was watching Charlotte and her husband's characters dealing with uh, rock, go from Rose to rock. And I was just like, like, I don't know if you're doing this experience justice in a way that you should be showing it. And I felt like throughout the show with Black Lives Matter, with Miranda's drinking, all these issues that we're trying to educate people on, and you just got it so wrong. So wrong. So wrong. You know, there's another example when Charlotte makes another friend, another mom friend in the school who happens, who's black, and they invite her to that dinner party. And she goes up to the woman and one of the guests, and she says, I forget the name, but she says, oh, Angela, I haven't seen you in so long. How's your daughter? And this woman looks at Charlotte and says, my name is Angela. I'm Nicole. So basically, as I say, it happened to me a lot in my career. It's like, please don't mistake me for the other brown woman. And rather than that being a learning moment, the, the character says, oh, it's okay, Charlotte. It's okay. And lets her off the hook. And it's like, it's not okay. It's uncomfortable. And it's not okay that you just did that. So I don't know if you watch, um, and we won't talk that much more about TV, <laughs> but um, the show Summer House, it's on Bravo. And they had a castmate who um, there's two black women in the house and one, it's her first summer there and people were getting her names wrong. She wasn't being included and she felt a lot. And they finally sat down as a house and had a conversation discussion about what it's like being a black woman in the Hamptons and how the house came together. And it was like, I was happy that the house supported them, but how they articulated how they felt like you, that was a great show that showed a lesson and how she said it's I've always been called the wrong name like I know your name you should know my name absolutely and I've started to think about that more when I do meet people because I'm the worst with names like not great with it but being more aware of it because it is who you are it is what you represent and you should respect someone to remember their name enough and in corporate America because you have had your career throughout it And I know that after uh, George Floyd's murder, organizations across the country pledged about $50 billion in trying to take an active role in dismantling systemic racism and saying that there was a problem. But what I've seen in some organizations is they say the buzzwords, they talk about what they're going to do, but nothing really changes, or they'll promote certain people, but their promotion is just to make it look like you have more senior leadership that's diverse, but nothing changes. Have you seen us start taking steps in the right direction, do you think? Well, I'm a half glass full person. That's why I do this work. I have to stay optimistic. I do think there's, a, I say, diversity washing. There's a lot of diversity washing happening, meaning it's Black History Month. How many um, Black History Month images, stories will you just see for this month? And guess what? My job is I'm on a journey to be an ally to the Black community 365 days a year. Yes, these months are important, but they're not the only month. Same thing will happen with Women's International Day, Women's History Month. You'll see this continue on. I will say that I have seen some progress that I'm excited about. No surprise, given my beauty background, I'm a big fan of Sephora. And they had... Back in 2019, I believe it was, or maybe earlier than that, they were accused of a racist incident in store where they had a celebrity tweeted about an incident that happened in store with one of their associates. 
And I'll say that they have made a lot of progress since then. You know, early on, they shut down their stores for training. But then as of last year, they commissioned the biggest study that's ever been done in retail to talk about bias and discrimination that individuals face when shopping in retail. And as a result of their study, they actually actioned a number of things. They are upskilling and training their associates. They're scaling back on third-party security. They also started the Sephora Accelerator Program, which I am shameless plug. I'm one of the advisors. Card is involved, but that was just recent. I've been a big fan of them theirs for a while. And their Accelerator Program is really focused on how do you get more black and brown beauty brands on shelf online through Sephora. And so they take people through. Uh, you, you apply. If you're accepted, they're getting you retail ready. So more and more you're seeing, I mean, that is what I say is end-to-end -end inclusion ecosystems. It's not about an Instagram post. It is what are you doing? Because inclusion is a driver of the business. What are you doing to help serve and also be an ally? I will say that this podcast came out of the summer of 2020. Everything going on with Black Lives Matter, the rise of just racism and anti-Semitism across the country. And I am not at the point in my career where I can write a check to really make a difference. So I thought by speaking, learning from one another, this was my way of not only educating myself, but listeners in hopes that we can learn and bridge that gap of difference. But when I see people just post stuff on Instagram, you post a story, great, right? Um, but then there's no follow through. So how can people really be allies and show like what actions would you say like the top three actions to help people start to become allies with dealing with either colorism, racism, or just overall like inclusion and diversity? I would say the first thing is Google is your friend. Do not ask me what it means to be anti-racist, Google it. And so you have to understand, like, even when you have like an innocent question, you have to understand, like, especially for our Black friends and colleagues, the intergenerational trauma they have endured. So at what cost do you need to hear it from a primary source? And that is, that's sort of the tension because storytelling is one of the oldest forms of human civilization. So we all love stories. But, and stories move us, but do I have to go and ask that person? Can I do my research before I constantly put the burden on the black or brown individual in my life? The second is build cross-cultural bridges because when you know me really well and we're friends, you could ask me about anything and I'm not gonna be offended because I know it's not tokenistic. I know you're not just coming to me to say, what do you think about the rise of xenophobia and hate crimes against the Asian community because I'm your only Asian friend. No, I know it's because you care and you want to know and we have a safe relationship. And number three, I will say, vote with your wallet, support black and brown owned businesses, support women owned businesses. I'm wearing um, jewelry right now from Blossom Box Jewelry. I just covered them in Entrepreneur. Reka is the founder and CEO and creates these amazing pieces that's, you know, inspired by her sort of struggling to embrace her culture growing up and these beautiful pieces inspired by uh, South Asian design and culture. And so just think about that, how you can use your wallet to support others. I would also say, I love LinkedIn. That's how I found you. I'm a big user of LinkedIn. Yeah, that's, that's how true. I get most <laughs> of my podcast guests is because I see what's being talked about or you, your articles are great. You take time 
to respond to people's comments or you yourself comment on other people's posts. How have you leveraged LinkedIn and why did you choose that platform out of all the different social media platforms we have? I chose LinkedIn because I think it's the friendliest. As my friend Kelly Schweitzer says, it's a platform of generosity. Everything I'm posting is really from a business perspective. It's really about what I'm doing to be better, do better, what I am learning, what I want to teach other people. I am, a, you know, I'll just watch videos on TikTok. I haven't posted anything. I'm on Instagram. I'm barely on Twitter. But I also find on LinkedIn, I, listen, I think we learned to, we need to learn to disagree with each other more. I'm all for disagreeing as long as it's not hate speech, it's long, as long as it's done with kindness. I think there's a lot we can learn from each other. And so that's why I really enjoy LinkedIn and I enjoy storytelling. So it's just become my platform of choice. I will tell you over the last two years is we've all been isolated, but not alone, even though we felt alone. I've really used LinkedIn a lot more because I find that it's community and conversation when we've, many of us have, have been isolating in our homes. And talk to our listeners, because I don't know if everyone knows about your podcast that you're on and how that came about. Yeah. So my friend DC Marshall and I self-funded a podcast that we started called Brown Table Talk last year, and it was really born out of our friendship. Dee was my coach years ago. I always say I'm the client she can't get rid of but she really helped me get through a really toxic, bullying, harassing situation at work. I journaled, I took a lot of notes. I was on a journey to heal. And one day, two years ago, before the pandemic started, Dee and I were like, we should start a podcast. And our friends were like, yeah, you should, but we didn't know how to do it. <laughs> so we found Rich Cardona, Cardona Media, who's a podcast producer and his team. And we just self-funded it and did it. And it's really about how women of color can go from not just surviving, but thriving in their workplaces, but that we need allies to show up. Because I tell you all these things that I've gone through in my career, I'm like, what do I wish would have happened differently? How do I wish someone would have shown up for me? So we did season one and then LinkedIn called us last year to say they are launching a LinkedIn podcast network, which they did this week. And we're one of the handful of shows that's part of that family now, which is really exciting. So season two uh, just dropped for us and we're uh, doing weekly episodes. And for listeners, I'll go ahead and link, uh, link it on our social media because it was great. I listened to the first season and then I found out you guys got picked up and I was really excited about it. So thank you so much. Yeah. And then I would say probably your most important role is as a mom. And what has it been like, as you said, you went through a lot of bullying. I remember hearing that a kid lit your hair on fire in high school, I think, and that alone is traumatic on top of everything else that I've read that you experienced. Um, kids can be like assholes. Let's just be yeah. honest. Not even just mean, just yeah. rude. And they hear what their parents say and they repeat it. And they don't realize sometimes I think what they're saying, or maybe they do, but um, as a mom to two younger kids growing up in this environment, how have you led with love? How have you, um, made sure to talk to your kids about if someone says something mean or how do you kind of handle those situations? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking that question. My bullying incident that I talk pretty openly about, I talk about it in the podcast. It's um, episode one of season two. I, Dee and I talk about hair. So um, you can listen to that there and hear that story. But for my kids, listen, here's what we don't realize. All of these adults in workplaces and work spaces were kids once. Yeah. 
And so like inclusion starts at our kitchen tables. And so to anybody listening, if you have young people in your life, think about the language you use. When we say things like crazy, stupid, lazy, weird, strange, and we innocently describe people like that and allow our kids to describe people like that, that is the gateway to stereotyping, which leads to hate. So even with my kids, when they say, oh, so-and-so is funny. I'm like, well, tell me more. What do you, what do you, why are you using that word? And they're like, oh, they did these knock-knock jokes. Okay. Got it. Makes sense. Oh, so-and-so is funny looking. No. Why are they funny looking? We don't say that. And so you have to be intentional. I have to be intentional about the language I use and also to role model for them, right? They at this age have been the target of bullying. And so that's been really painful for me to watch and to, to show them. And also just to say like, you know, it's not okay for them to ever bully. And I hope they never do. But also, as we say, what's happening in our workplaces, it's like, empower the bystander. Don't be the bystander who stands there and watches these things happen and don't say anything. And so to teach my kids too, if someone's being excluded from the lunch table, it's not okay, like speak up for them. Speak up for them. So at the end of your Cosmo article, you say that in your house now you start saying we are brown beautiful and smart and then um someone added silly and then curious and creative got added on to it have any other new words been added on to it or how did you come up i guess with that mantra uh, the mantra started because my daughter was picking up and being told she was different in school um, based on the color of her skin, kids were making comments and things were happening. And so that was like really upsetting to me. And so trying to teach her about being proud of her brown skin, no matter what anyone else says. So just to even say that and be more empowering about it. And I think also just to be really choiceful about, you know, it wasn't certainly like when I was growing up, like we just talked about with dolls, like she loves dolls and making sure that she's getting brown dolls and black dolls and white dolls and that it's not all blonde dolls with blue eyes and you know um, white skin so that she can see like a diversity of what beauty means. I think that's really important. The other topic that you've written quite a bit about is the great resignation. Yeah. But you talk about it in a way where not only is it, yes, it is, but you being glass half full, uh, you re named it as the great awakening and that people are really leaving their jobs, not necessarily because they have another one lined up, but they're just leaving the corporation or corporate America. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Some people will say the great resignation is a good thing. Some say it's bad. I think it's great when you're aligning a little bit more with your values and what you want out of life. But what have you kind of seen from a corporate perspective? There was a great study in McKinsey, which actually inspired me to call the Great Resignation to rename it the Great, great Awakening. And this McKinsey study talks about how the number one driver of why people aren't are leaving is not for the meditation app or the fancy snacks or the well-being benefits or even compensation. It's because they feel like they don't belong. And this is disproportionately driving people of color to leave the workforce. And so I think it's the great awakening. People will no longer put up with whatever crap they put up with at their jobs. And this is pent up years and decades of people being like, enough is enough. Why was I commuting two hours to go treated like crap at work and deal with 
my boss who was bullying me or my coworker who was harassing me. Like all of these things were just now questioning. How do you handle that manager that is harassing you or I've had experiences where managers or people of power have said things to me that have made me so uncomfortable and were so inappropriate, but I just was too afraid to go to HR because I think that there is some distrust around HR, but for our listeners who might be experiencing that, how would you suggest they handle that situation? You have to assess what your options are and what you're comfortable with. It's really easy for me to say now that I'm more senior in my career, when these things happen to me when I was more junior, there's power dynamics, there's hierarchy. If it's your boss, if it's the vice president, if it's the CEO, it's very easy for me to say, speak up, right? It's not that easy because there are power dynamics at play. So I I would say, like, think about what your options are. Think about who you can go to outside of work that you can trust to sort of think about what's the level of the situation. I will tell you that I was in a, in a situation at work for far too long where I was the target of gaslighting, bullying, harassment, and I finally left because there, I had explored and exhausted all my options, like report the person, move teams, um, try, to take a, try to take a leave of absence. Like you, you calculate all the different things you can do. And honestly, you have to make the right decision for you. Um, that's, that's all I can unguide people on. I've experienced, and I don't know if it's similar to you, that sometimes it seems like as much as we say females should be supporting other females, that's almost where a lot of negativity or harassment have come into play. I know I've experienced it with um, female leaders and here I am young, excited, wanting to help. What can I do? And just, you get those sly remarks and they get a little bit more aggressive over time and everyone's like what did you do to her it's like nothing I'm just here to work um have you heard or in your experience have you seen that sometimes women aren't always the best supporters of women I feel like there's a weird hazing thing like I've had to go through this to break into the boys club so you have to too listen I think um anyone can bully. It's like equal opportunity, right? (laughs) Across gender, across race, right? And you know that like, when I am the only one in a room or the only one on my team, that can be an isolating experience. And those have been some moments where I've been targeted for bullying or harassment, right? But that's only my experience. I can't speak to all. But I will say that I think to your point, there are stories that I have seen that it took me really, it took me so much work to get at this table and so you have to put that work in as well to get a seat here because I'm the only one and I worked really hard to do it. And I would love for us to get to a place where we pay it forward, where I worked really hard to get here. I really struggled. I've been through a lot of shit, but I don't want that to be the way for other people. Like I want to make it easier for them, which is why I started this podcast because no one was really talking. D and I were like, we're messaging each other late at night talking about this stuff, but no one else is really talking about this publicly. We wanted to change that. And so I hope that that's what people will think is like, make it better for the person who's coming up behind you. What do they say? Send the elevator back down. So when we talked previously, you mentioned your parents and your grandparents, and they were um, born in India. And then um, you and your brother were born here. Did you feel as a child who had parents uh, 
immigrant parents that you had to work harder to kind of, cause they might've sacrificed or came to a country, not yeah. knowing the language or not yeah. knowing to give you guys a better life. Did you feel like that drove you even more? 100, 150%. Um, my parents were from India. My dad's mother was married when she was 12 years old. My mother's mother was married when she was 10 years old. They were child brides. They had huge families. They were remarkable women. And that's not lost on me. Like I'm sitting here talking to you in less than three generations. I'm what progress looks like for women. Like this is it living proof in less than three generations, what gender equality looks like. So it's not some HBR article. It's not academic. It's not theoretical. It's right here. And so, yeah, when your parents sacrifice a lot, my dad had a family of 10 siblings. My mom had a family of nine. They left everyone behind to start a life here. And they worked really hard and they also were victims of bullying. Right. I, I think about it now as an adult, because as a child, I didn't realize that like they had accents, they dressed differently. People in the community made fun of them as well. And so what that must have been like for them trying to start a new life is like unimaginable and really can't imagine. And so, of course, you don't want to let them down. That was certainly something I always felt and still carry. We've talked about education, and I know that on your podcast, you guys talk about education and that education really is the way to break the cycle and allow freedom for whoever. Are there any organizations that you support or resources to kind of help you recommend people mentor or help with the Boys and Girl Club or any of those organizations that you can give back your time to help youth really understand that education will help them? Because I think that- our educational system is so broken and that we're not helping younger generations. I feel like I'm in, I live in Chicago and I see what's going on in our public school system and how so many people are being left behind. And that is really the way to freedom. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there are so many ways, whether it's like you say, your, you know, your local church, your temple, boys and girls club, just to think about someone that you can help support, whether that's like tutoring, exposing them to a new career, whether that's following you on Zoom or following you in the office as we're trying to go back to offices. So many ways, like, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. So exposing young people to different role models is so important. And it's just a tough time for everyone. I started a challenge recently on LinkedIn, which I'm all about trying to get more women back into the workforce. You know, the pandemic from a US perspective has devastated women in the workplace. We are back to gender, women's uh, workforce participation from a gender perspective that's like we haven't seen since the 1980s. So we've wiped out four decades of progress. And I just started a challenge where I matched over 70 women, women job seekers with women leaders who wanted to donate 30 minutes of their time to just do a coaching session. So there's so many things we can be doing. Why is that? Why have we seen that shift of women kind of leaving the workspace. Yeah, I think the number one reason um, it's tied to caregiving, right? And so, you know, for many of my friends who left the workforce, it was never a choice. They had to put their families first. And family can be younger children, can be older relatives. It was like multi generational households living together. So that was disproportionately what you saw. And then also with women getting laid off during the pandemic, you know, we talk a lot about caregiving and a working mom. That's something I'm passionate about, but there's also ageism, women over 50 who are trying to get back into the workforce, like not a concern necessarily, I shouldn't say, but like something that 
women fight ageism. I'm not sure if men fight it in the same way. I'm sure they do, but women um, and ageism is something that we've seen also in the pandemic, women not being able to get back into the workforce because well, of their age. It's interesting because I feel like when you have a male counterpart who's 50 and coming into a company, they bring so much experience and they've yeah. had all this, you know, history, but you never hear that when they talk about a female coming back into the workplace who's 50 and older. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. I'm just thinking about Hollywood and actors and actresses, like someone like a George Clooney or a recent yeah. piece on Liam Neeson, who talks about his age. I think he's close to 70. Don't you'll we'll have to check. We'll have to Google it. But he talks about how he even says it's ridiculous at my age as a, as a man that I'm still getting called for these action movies. And so that bias shows up, I think, just in everywhere. I think Hollywood being the one that comes to mind when it comes to storytelling. So I just want to thank you. I think this has been such a great conversation. We hit a lot of different topics in a short period of time, but I would tell listeners, um, if you have, if you're on LinkedIn and you're active, make sure you check out Nita, listen to our podcast. We'll post about it, but we end every conversation with the same three questions. So the first question is if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would that be? That would be by Dr. Maya Angelou who said, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Is legacy something that's important to you? It is. I think for me, it's more about paying it forward and making sure that I'm being as generous as I can with, my, with the time I'm here on earth. I love that. Um, the second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? Oh, you're going to make me cry now. Uh, it would be with my dad who I lost suddenly five years ago. Yes. Just any day in particular or just one stand just out? Just say, I could understand that. Um, and then the final question is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked oh into a room, which song would you choose? I have a lot. Um, I really like Pink Just Like Fire. Sarah Bareilles has Brave. My kids and I listen to that a lot. That's from... I a dis the, the movie brave so yeah those were some of my songs <laughs> all right i'll i'll add both of them to the for your listening pleasure uh theme song playlist so listeners yes. can listen to your two theme songs we'll do one for you and one for your kids um oh, and um they can go ahead and listen so mita thank you so much i really appreciate all the work you've been doing i know i've learned so much and I hope I can still uh, continue. I know I will continue to grow and listen and learn oh, more from you. you and be an advocate. So thank you. I really appreciate you taking time. I know how busy oh, you are. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast and the impact you're making on the world. What a wonderful story about why you started podcasting. I love it. 